0: I did a lot of research for this podcast. That's not true. I've done more, but I did a bit. I already knew about Waco. Uh, I've watched uh, several videos on it, and you know, documentaries and all of that. But before we start the episode, I wanted to give a shout out to this YouTube channel Wendy Goon. It's W E N D I G O O N. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. He has, like, a nine-hour-long conspiracy theory iceberg video that, like, is my comfort YouTube video to watch. Yeah. Uh, I'll just sit down and watch all nine hours of it, and that's, you know, a good day. But he did a video on Waco, and he's, like, he's from Appalachia, very, like, country, has guns, goes hunting kind of guy, but then he's, like, very into aliens and like creepy mountain things and Mm -hmm. like gay rights and stuff so he's like a good mix of that like good old americana without the terrible bad traits that usually come along with that yeah you know so this video that he made was very informative because he was like yes this was a religious cult yes there was a lot of like abuse happening but then also the government handled it incredibly terribly here's why you know, so it was like, I feel like a pretty fair, you know, bias because who doesn't hate the federal government? But exactly,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we also don't love a terrible cult, you know, so
1: yeah. And Criminal Minds loves to reference Waco, I feel like yeah. they do it quite often.
0: And they mentioned Ruby Ridge this episode, but they also mentioned it in the last episode of Criminal Minds Evolution.
1: Yeah, they did.
0: Yeah. They love mentioning these like government staples. Like, oh, the public will know what I mean when I say Waco, you know.
1: Yeah. And we'll definitely get into this later. I don't. No Waco at all pretty much because it happened in that like sweet spot before I was born but it was still so recent that people didn't think to teach children about it because yeah. it happened in 93 and I was born in 98 like I feel like I didn't learn anything about the 90s when I was in school because that wasn't history yet right. that was just like last year to adults I feel like right. the, the most I learned up to was like the 80s so fucking fuck if I know what happened <laughs> to Waco <laughs> All I know about it is that David Rossi has a lot of angst about it. Truly. <laughs> That's all I got.
0: Truly. And yeah, Waco happened six months before I was born. And I guess Ruby Ridge was a couple months before that. They really make Rossi like... Rossi is likable to a very specific demographic and unlikable to a very specific demographic.
1: You know? yeah,
0: mm-hmm. Like, from my perspective him being at both Ruby Vidge and Waco, like I don't care that he's like, Yeah, we made mistakes. Like, no, I know now I know exactly what kind of government employee you are.
1: And yeah. I get
0: it. And I don't like it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. But then there are people that would be like, Oh, so he was out there making the big decisions and like on the front lines, like
1: making putting the it hard out there. choices.
0: Exactly. Putting it all on the line for America, you know, shit like that. So, but I like that Criminal Minds does that. You know, I mean, I like the character, but I like that there is a, you know, they brought in someone from an older generation that now has to mesh with the kids of the BAU.
1: The kids these days.
0: The 30-year-olds of the BAU.
1: (laughs) Shall we? Do we want to play the theme song? Ooh,
0: let's play the theme song. Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome to Wheels Up, a Criminal Minds podcast. I'm Sheila.
1: And I'm Dan. And this week, we are talking about Season 3, Episode 7, Identity.
0: Ooh, Identity.
1: I think, personally, I think a very underrated episode in Season 3. I a think so, too. A very good episode that I think is underrated. I think so, too. It also has my favorite Hotch and Rossi moment. <laughs> That's my favorite meme to come across Plage. is when Rossi is just cold opening like I'm a gay man, yes, I'm a submissive gay man. I literally I
0: just- wrote <laughs> down when he says I'm a submissive gay man and I need you to dominate me. <laughs>
1: it's just it's so funny out of context, but it's also hysterical in context.
0: Okay, I'm gonna role play. I'm a submissive gay man and I need you to dominate me. Why? well you see I can provide you like okay
1: (laughs) it's so funny that they just like yeah okay
0: like come on so true so true no I really like this episode and you know the specific obviously aspects I don't like but I think as a whole it's really underrated and I think that I'm excited to talk about certain moments because people will point at this episode as a sign of Rossi's racism and I don't think that's true and I'm ready to defend why.
1: Okay. Yeah. You know what? In, in terms of Rossi's greatest racism hits, this is not on the album.
0: No. And I also think it's not Rossi being racist. I think it's him understanding other people's racism. But we'll get there.
1: Yeah. We'll get there. This is, I think, I think this is just one of the more underrated episodes from season three.
0: It has a lot of nuance, this episode.
1: It's very, but it is exactly. That's why I think most people don't like it because it's a nuanced episode.
0: Right. And we hate nuance here.
1: And we hate nuance here. But also, I think it just gets overshadowed with a lot of really big-name cases. I mean, you have seven seconds, two episodes before this. And then, like, after this, you have Lucky, Lucky. and Penelope. Yeah. Like, you just, it just, like, gets, unfortunately, I think, overshadowed. I think people see mm-hmm. the forest for the trees here. I think it just gets overshadowed because there's so many really wild episodes. I mean, to go from seven seconds
0: to Rossi's first episode... And then this one, and then Lucky. This is kind of it. There's nothing, it's a good episode, but there's no like standout, back, there's no standout thing. Backstory stuff. Yeah, or that would make yeah. it stand out to people. But I do think it's a really solid episode, and I cringe a lot, but I do enjoy rewatching it. Yeah. Okay. We begin in Great Falls, Montana. A man with a scar smoking is speeding down a mountainside highway in a stolen car going 90 and the and cops what's
1: the song that's playing it's like oh. the little lover boy song is yeah what.
0: it's like romantic it's like kind of funny
1: oh it's pride and joy there we go that's what it's called it's pride and joy by stevie Vaughn, thank you imdb yeah You're my bestie
0: so the cops catch him like catch up to him And you see him, like, pull out a gun and say, like, oh, no, he's going to shoot the cops. But then the cop comes closer and he just puts his hand out the window and there's the pin of a grenade hanging from his finger. I love the drama.
1: The the drama of it all? The drama of it all.
0: This man is pure drama. And I love it. (laughs) I mean, I hate it, but I love it yeah hate the person love the character right yeah and I said it was kind of like a classic almost like a classic western showdown or something you know like very
1: yeah it felt like there needed to be a tumbleweed here yeah I needed that little whistle I needed the tumbleweed I needed the 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 10 seconds of just absolute stillness from both sides I needed that
0: yeah it was very like Americana you know classic it was great so then we cut to Reed talking about like hypermatter reactors and Star Wars. And Derek and Emily are just like, Derek is trying to work. Like he is sitting there looking at a paper and Reed is like, but then George Lucas and Star Wars. And Emily like, is like, oh, okay, God. And then as soon as they can, Derek is like, okay, <laughs> I'm done with this. I need to get back the last five minutes of my life.
1: The way they're just sort of, like, sitting, letting it happen, too.
0: They're I like, know. he just
1: needs to info dump for a while. Like, yeah. Derek's just, like, reading. He's like, yeah, mm-hmm. I can understand why the prequels would be awful. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> He's just, like, totally ignoring it. Oh, yeah.
0: I do. I will say, uh, they're, like, they're getting in their eye rolls, and they're ignoring it, but they're letting him ramble, you know?
1: Exactly. Like, yeah. you could tell this boy to shut the fuck up, but they don't. They let it happen.
0: I think this is the beginning of their like major sibling energy with like Emily's the older sister. Derek is the middle and Reed's the little sibling. You know, it's like big. He's got big, like youngest child energy, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Which is funny because Emily and Reed are both only only children. Anyway, I need to point out that Emily's coat is lined with leopard print.
1: Of course it is.
0: Just wanted to put that out there. Great. So (laughs) they go into Rossi's office. Derek is like, you don't want to know what his office looks like? And Emily's like, I do. And just throws her work down and gets up. And Derek is like, guys, we can't. We can't go in there. But he's like not going to be left behind. So he's like hovering awkwardly in the doorway. (laughs) I love it. They start profiling him. He's got taupe walls. Tope is a lonely color, and then there's nothing on his walls, so, like, you know, you'd think he'd want to show off. And then Derek uh, makes a comment about, like, he wouldn't know the meaning of the word team. Can I point out that at the beginning of the show in season one, Derek was having issues with Gideon, and now it's Rossi, and he's having issues with Rossi.
1: Derek ageism accusations? And not unfounded.
0: Derek Morgan hates old white men. Cancelled. And
1: he's so valid for that. Actually, so valid. I don't think he's he's so valid for that. Actually, (laughs) anti-canceled. He's so valid for that.
0: Yeah. And then they find a piece of Renaissance art, and that gets read in the room. That makes Reed be like, "Ooh, what's that?" (laughs) He likes the classics. He probably grew up Catholic. He probably believes in redemption. And then Rossi just like enters the room and is like, "No, it's real. I promise." Anyway, my name's David Rossi. I'm 92. I'm Italian. I was raised Catholic.
1: And that's an original. He's 52, not 92. What? Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <Oops>. 52. <laughs> wow. Wow, yeah. Mm-hmm. 52.
0: Yeah, he's, he is younger than my parents in this. My parents are both mid 60s. Oh, fuck, he is. Right now. Yeah.
1: He's younger than mine. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: God, he looks like an old man though,
1: doesn't he? He does. But also, it, I truly, like going back from evolution where he does Just, look right. older than dirt to this, you're like, wow, he looks He's kind of kind of like a child in this. <laughs> like... I mean,
0: if everyone else looks like children and he looks like an adult, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then in evolution, they all look like adults and he looks like the Crypt Keeper.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: A, a cute Crypt Keeper but you know Bones.
1: He certainly does Look like a yeah. Crypt Keeper yeah for, for sure. sure
0: And he says that the art is Original and it cost more than his first House which isn't saying much he's 52 in 2007
1: His first house cost like A thousand dollars Yeah, He had an interest rate of zero yeah. Like what do you want Sorry, like, You bought on. your
0: first house like In the 70s It probably cost like a handshake and a nice bottle of wine. Like, calm Yeah, down. exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then he, like, makes a comment about being on a team. And it was, like, Rip, he saw it. And I just, like, love this because, like, Reed is so guilty. Youngest child's energy, so guilty. Derek just head down, eyes forward, shuts his mouth. Emily, like, checking on Derek and Reed to see, like, how they're doing. It's amazing. So they all leave. And we hear the case we get more details about the case i love how we get information about this case through the episode
1: it's really interesting like, i like we it. we
0: know who it is right away but we don't get like information about him until like you know bits and pieces during the episode i love that we get his like vibe i mean they do this with lucky too we get the killer's like vibe but we don't learn anything about him until later and i love that
1: mm-hmm
0: okay The case. Over the past 14 months, three women have gone missing. All of them are young white brunettes. A fourth one just went missing. And we learned that the car in that opening scene was her car. He stole it. And she's still missing. Maybe she's alive. And then we see her trapped in a box. Which turns out to be, like, in a dresser. Yeah. Like,
1: it's like in the dude's closet it's just like a box in there like it's insane Yeah, it's actually crazy
0: and then we get the opening okay to the plane no wheels up that's i know it's
1: i'm so fucking sad that we haven't gotten the wheels up yet it's homophobic honestly the fact that they said it like seven times in the reboot and none it was like every
0: episode they said no they probably said it like four times in the reboot and none in season three and it We haven't hit like the tipping point, you know, like at some point it becomes required. There's an episode called Wheels Up, but we're not there yet. Yeah. Okay. We're on the plane. Reed is doing like a geographic map. Like he does most episodes. And Emily is like, oh, if I'd known you wanted to color, I would have gotten you a coloring book at the airport. Which
1: (laughs) she's so funny for that. She's so real for that. I'm sorry. She's so real for that. But also, he's starting early. Doesn't he usually do these on bigger, like, whiteboards and shit? Like, it-
0: No, he'll, he'll usually do it on, like, a smaller one and then transfer it.
1: Okay. Also,
0: this is, like, it's all mountains and shit, you know? Normally, he does, like, a close-up yeah. of a city. So he can do this one a little more zoomed out because it's so much land to cover. And I think he also has it, like, folded up. But I just, like, love that line from Emily. It, like, did, it did make me laugh. And then they explained like geographic maps and I wanted to be like there was a literally a plot point in distress where Hotch is, where Reed is being an asshole and Hotch is like Emily help Reed with the map.
1: I think they more do it for Rossi, honestly. That's kinda of the vibe I got. Oh, you think so? I think I thought it the vibe I got was more that it was for Rossi.
0: I assumed it was for, you know, the audience. It just felt like silly that Emily was like What you doing over there, kid? Coloring? And it's like, Emily, he has one job, okay?
1: His one job right now is very much, like, to do the He
0: does maps. That's his thing. Made me laugh. Okay, and then we learn about Montana. They hate the government and, like, cops in general, and they love guns. So true. So true. I mean, I feel like that's correct.
1: Yeah. I feel like they say that about a good half of the states they visit. I mean Montana,
0: Iowa, Idaho, Utah, Texas,
1: Texas, Arizona, anywhere down south. Oklahoma. I feel like yeah, I feel like <laughs> at some point in the series they refer to nearly every state as like, yeah, they really don't no. like us. Like, well, then maybe the government might not be good. Hey, gang, I'm starting to get the idea that maybe <laughs> if everybody dislikes
0: you, maybe they're not the problem. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe you're the. Are you the drama?
0: Is the B A <gasps> U the drama? Is the federal government of the United States of America the drama?
1: Cannot <laughs> be. be impossible. No.
0: And then we learn that there are a ton of militia groups out there. Great. It's because there's fucking nothing to do in Montana but like shoot shit, <laughs> join a militia, <laughs> shoot shit, drive around, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me get to Emily. Okay, I, I need to say something. Yeah, Emily is wearing a purple shirt in the office and a purple shirt on the plane and dress pants. But when they get off the plane in Montana, she's wearing blue shirts and a blue shirt and cargo pants.
1: Did she change on the plane?
0: She must, one, she must have changed on the plane. Two, God bless. Cargo pants, Emily Prentis, my beloved.
1: God fucking bless. She's in
0: a ponytail this whole fucking episode. She looks so good.
1: And I'm listen. listen. I'm a simple butch. <laughs> I see a woman who could throw me to the ground, and I go, yeah. Please, please, yes. thank you. please, and thank you. Please, at your earliest convenience. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: at your earliest, as soon as like. you're available, please. That's funny. Emily, like, I know she's like rich and boozy, bougie, bougie and shit, but I feel like her like casual home attire is just like a pair of really thick, expensive sweatpants and like the softest t-shirts you've ever seen. Like she spends yeah. a lot of money on like just comfortable pajama clothes, you know? <laughs> okay. Emily and Hodge meet with the cop at the store where the woman went missing. So they're like, oh, she got taken at the grocery store. And then you get there and it's like, Montana General Store. It's like all dirt. Yeah. Like, not what you were expecting. Not what I was expecting.
1: It's also very, yeah, I do want to say, this is not what most of Montana looks like. Like, Right. (laughs) I love that whenever they come to Montana, they're like, we are ignoring the fact that there are cities here. We are only in the backwoods, baby. Like, most small towns don't look like this. They're
0: in the middle of fucking nowhere.
1: They're in the goddamn sticks,
0: for real. Like, when they go, when they ask the cop for... Uh, sh- like a- their best sniper, it's like just some um, guy.
1: It's just a dude that he deputizes. Uh, like that's gonna hold up and in- like, come on,
0: Great Falls, okay? Great Falls, Montana, where they are, is the third most populous city in Montana. There are sixty thousand people that live there,
1: and it looks like absolutely <laughs> and they made it look
0: like. 10 people.
1: Literally, they made it look like they were out in the goddamn six. 60,000 people? It's, it has that's,
0: a downtown.
1: That's, can I tell you, that is six times as many people that lived in my hometown, and even my hometown looked more like a real town than this fucking out-in-the-middle-of-the-sticks bullshit. Good God. Yeah,
0: that's, and also, so... The peak that the partner goes to at the end is the Black Eagle Peak. But in reality, Black Eagle is a waterfall and it's one of the five hydroelectric dams in the area. Like it's water. and they're But they're just like in the fucking desert. The city of Great Falls is known as the Electric City. And they're <laughs> acting like we're in... The fucking Sahara. Over one million overnight visitors annually.
1: Ten museums. It's so funny. I just wanted to say that at the very beginning since we are in Montana. And like, sure. Yeah, there are cities in Montana that do look like this. There are a bunch of little towns that have one general store and it's sort of dusty in the middle. Of, but like, y'all. Also, y'all, it's
0: November in Montana.
1: It's cold as fuck. Montana is
0: practically Canada. Emily's in a t-shirt. Yeah. There should oh, be on. snow on the ground.
1: <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Oh,
0: no. I didn't even think about that.
1: That's so funny. Sorry. I just, I had to mention the fact that we are not indeed in the middle of goddamn nowhere. Yeah. We're in Montana. It's a real place. Like It is a real place, Yes. <laughs> It is in fact a real place that has real cities that look, you know, normal. Yeah. This is like I will give it credit, although I don't understand why this gas station is is not on a corner street. They only show this like gas station, grocery store, whatever. Yeah. And it's like on a road that immediately looks at out onto like the mountains. It's not even on like an intersection. Not true. Every fucking goddamn gas station grocery store is always on an intersection. If you're in the middle of two, if if you're in the middle of fucking nowhere and there's a tiny town, the gas and grocery store is on a corner. It just, that's a very small thing that I'm like, absolutely not. (laughs) Sorry, let's continue.
0: They get to this tiny, teeny grocery store. It's crazy. They learn that the woman was taken and the son and the, the husband were still inside and the woman, you know, didn't want to chance her son getting hurt. So she just went with him, but then they look around and they're like, he didn't leave a car. So he must've walked here to the car. Later we'll learn that he has a partner who drops him off. And then he takes the car.
1: I thought it was kind of weird that if they were really out in the sticks in the middle of fucking nowhere, as previously they've set up here, I thought it was weird that they jumped immediately to walks instead of like partner gets dropped off, works here. Like, I don't know. I thought it was weird that they immediately went to walks.
0: Well, Emily said if he's local, he would probably have walked. That's what she said.
1: But then they also set up that like there's no houses within right. a million know, fucking I, miles I, here do you I get understand. what i mean like
0: i completely understand
1: the desolation they're trying to portray is at odds with the fact that they're like oh yeah there's a bunch of houses within walking yeah. distance like yeah
0: it's crazy and the thing is right so this woman was taken and he was killed or he died in a span of 40 minutes so and she wasn't with him So somewhere in that 40 minutes, she got to drop him off and he was on the highway. They never say why he was out driving her car.
1: I don't know why. Was it like, did he do that with all the cars and this is just the first time he got caught? Was he trying to like take it somewhere to wreck it?
0: But then like the other guy wasn't with him to like pick him up once that happened. So does it really?
1: It was just weird. Maybe he was just
0: using it because like, sounds like they only had one car. So, if the partner was like watching the woman, then he might have used her car. He
1: was dumping her car somewhere else. Or he was, I bet he was probably taking it to get dumped and then
0: Actually, the car you know would what it come is?
1: pick him up later.
0: You know what it is? So the partner drops him off. The partner goes to a meetup spot. Gorig gets the girl, puts her in the closet. They drop the car off. He gets back in the car and they go home together.
1: Oh, you know what? That's probably it.
0: I could be a serial killer. No, I could just...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Don't get us put on more watch lists. (laughs) Oh my god, guys.
0: What if I... No, I I couldn't. Okay. JJ keeps calling and be like, Hi, this is Jennifer Giroux. I'm an agent with the FBI hang-up. And she's like so annoyed about it. And she's like, there's a missing woman. And Reed and Rossi are like, yeah, they want to help the woman, not the FBI. And so we learned that the person who died was Francis Goring, who was in the military but discharged after a violent bar fight that put like five other people in the hospital. And he'd been arrested for aggressive militia groups. And JJ's like, are there any other kinds? Like, just like chill <laughs> militia groups? <laughs>
1: Militia groups, but they smoke more weed, you know? Like, what's the deal?
0: Militia groups, but it's, like, paintballing only. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to say this. We're going to talk about the Ruby Ridge and the Waco of it all at the end. But when Garcia is pulling stuff up about boring, she brings up a sticker that says BSM with a gun, and that is nothing that exists but there was a group called MOM, the Militia of Montana, that was formed in nineteen ninety-two after Ruby Ridge, but disbanded after Y2K turned out to be nothing.
1: God, I remember Y2K?
0: Remember Y2K? You don't remember Y2K.
1: I don't. But I do actually somewhat remember Y2K, mainly because I had to take a class on internet history and like we went into like how basically internet
0: history? But like,
1: not like internet, but like the infrastructure of the internet history basically. Not like meme history class. Like the infrastructure of the internet and how people used it. So like ARPANET and
0: all
1: of that. Yeah, and all that shit. And part of the most interesting part of that class was learning how effectively the IT profession is the ones who made sure Y2K didn't happen. And like, everybody likes to brush it off. Like, Oh, we were worried about nothing. That is incorrect. Y2K was 1000% going to happen. Everybody was working their asses off behind the scenes to make sure it didn't happen.
0: If you don't know about Y2K, basically. So years happen. years of four numbers For another, you know, 8,000 of them. And so when computers were built, they only programmed them to go up to 1999. And then the problem was to display, it was like the last two numbers, it went up to 99. So when the millennium happened, instead of rolling to 2,000, it was going to roll to 1,000 back to the beginning to zero zero and that would have fucked up literally everything
1: that would have yeah it would have crippled the world basically like that's not even like a joke like there are extremely deadly computer viruses that would have done less damage than y2k would have if it actually had happened exactly
0: so like anything that used a clock or a date or a timer would have been fucked And so all of these IT professionals had to fix it. Fix
1: it, literally. Yeah, they had to like completely fix it from scratch. And like, I don't know if, I feel like our listeners probably know and appreciate the fact that like, the internet is run by like 75 furries. And like, that's kind of who keeps up the internet infrastructure. Like I'm I'm sort of joking, but I'm also not really joking. Like-
0: When I was in college, There was a day for like six hours, my freshman year of college, so like 2011, maybe 2012, where Google and Facebook and like another really important site were down. Google was down. And that means everything connected to Google was down. And what happened was some programmer was working on code and blocked the symbol of a forward slash. By accident. And if you know how websites work, they're Mm -hmm. HTTP colon slash slash www. And if a slash is blocked, no website works. So (laughs) everything that he was working on, everything connected to what he was working on didn't work. And it took them, I mean, six hours, the schema thing, not the end of the world. But it was like, what would you do if Google and every single site went down for six hours? yeah you know, and the that was internet huge. is so
1: is so the internet is like held up by like various people who are hobbyists and love what they do, but they are also the ones who hold up literally the entire of internet communication protocols. So like stuff like y two k and also major outages mm-hmm. literally like it's like seven furries if they turned off their pagers, the internet would collapse.
0: It's actually, there's actually a big problem right now. This is so off topic. There's actually a big problem right now because the people who hold up the internet are getting older. Yeah. And who the fuck is going to replace them?
1: Yeah, like there's, (laughs) the internet is so funny because it is wildly, massively powerful. And it's also like held up by one dude named Ronald who like, makes sure that a certain program updates every single day and that program counts from one to two and that like holds up half the internet. Like it's insane, frankly insane. It like just, truly, it makes me laugh.
0: Truly a series of tubes.
1: Exactly. Like we joke that internet across seas is like a series of tubes, but like it is that is truly how it feels. <laughs> and my, it is.
0: My mother works for our county. Her job is to keep the internet internet servers running for the county which means it is her job to make sure that southern florida has internet yeah because we're in the biggest county in florida
1: millions of people live in our
0: county it's like if she quits and the person who takes her job is bad at it is bad at it the internet in southern florida will suffer That's how the internet works, okay?
1: (laughs) It's frankly insane that we are like on this little like precarious tower and you and I are using it to make jokes about criminal minds. (laughs) (laughs) Truly, we are at like the pinnacle of human achievement and also we made dick jokes about criminal minds. Like, it's just so funny.
0: My mom holds up the internet globe (laughs) so that I can talk about Emily Prentice's tits.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. As we should.
0: American dream.
1: (laughs) American dream right there. Making the world better for my kids. AKA so they can talk about Emily Prentice's tits online.
0: That's why they're so big. They're full of secrets.
1: (laughs) Okay. Okay. We got way (laughs) off course here.
0: (laughs) Definitely leaving all of that in like for real. Okay. (laughs) Unless this gets very long. Okay. Gorig's wife Diana, they're so married, but she's lived a couple well, hours on. away for a while what
1: you talked about is that where we were we yeah, talked he, about montana militia
0: yeah yeah so francis Goring.
1: okay okay sorry yeah. i was like i don't think we got to his wife yet okay no yeah, that's fine
0: this is us getting to his wife yeah
1: okay cool
0: okay great. great the missing woman's husband is like i bet that killer took my wife you know And he, like, doesn't want to talk to the FBI. But then the local cop is like, it's fine. Like, you can talk to them. They're here to help. And then Rossi and Reed go to Gorig's house. He lives on a compound. And they have to, like, it's, like, one of those things where as soon as somebody new walks in, all the adults appear standing on their porches. They're they're watching you. We've all been there. We have all, unfortunately, been there. And he goes to what in another neighborhood would be, you know, the entrance booth where you have to sign in. But this one is like, no trespassing, no solicitors. Fuck you guys. We can shoot you. Keep Montana armed. And he opens the door. And Reed is like, hey, I'm an FBI agent. And the guy says, you look like a pipe cleaner with eyes.
1: And so true, actually.
0: Actually, it's completely true. And they're like, we're looking for... And then Rossi is like, he's not alone. I'm also here.
1: You know Rossi playing that dramatic entrance. Like, it's just Spencer. You can't see Rossi. Rossi waits for maximum impact and he steps in like, he's not alone. Okay, dramatic old man.
0: Although it's like really funny because it's like, yeah, sorry. These people are not going to be like, oh, an Italian. I see. I see. They're going to be like, oh, a gay man. And what I could, what I, a racist, consider a person of color. Get out of yeah. here. Like, you know, it's so funny. <laughs> they ask to see his residence. The guy reaches for his gun, and Rossi's like, hey, we're looking for this missing woman. You know, we don't give a fuck about what's happening here. We're just trying to find her. Don't you want to find her? And the guy's like, fine. And then he tells Reed, like, the way you wear your gun is just begging for somebody to take it off you, which feels like a Chekhov's
1: gun. It felt like such foreshadowing. I was like, did I forget Reed getting disarmed this episode? No, No. I didn't. Reed does not get disarmed this episode. It felt so much like Chekhov's gun, though.
0: Literally roasted. This guy's just, it's like, hey, he likes to roast children. (laughs) You know?
1: (laughs) This guy sees Spencer Reed and immediately hates his guts and like, I get it. I see, sure. I get it. I get it. Who the fuck is
0: this twink on my lawn?
1: (laughs) Waving around a badge.
0: A badge. Wearing his gun in the front. Okay. We get to Gorg's house. It's built out of plywood. It's very dirty. It's unorganized. And he has like a military cop that he sleeps on, but it's dusty, so he hasn't been there in a while. And he has like a military trunk full of things. He has gun magazines and survival magazines, military history, uh, medieval history books. And Reed starts talking about Rossi's books and is like, you know, you always glance over what happened at Ruby Ridge. And Rossi straight up ignores it.
1: (laughs) As he should. Rossi's also sick of this man.
0: Yeah. Rossi's like, oh, so true. Anyway, look, wow, videotapes. Gotta go. (laughs) It is Gorig's manifesto. And it is...
1: A lot, isn't it?
0: Honestly, it's kind of cringe fail.
1: It's kind of very cringe fail.
0: Like, wow, you really think you're doing something. I...
1: I think it's interesting.
0: Hmm.
1: how they have such a strong emphasis on like recording and like being seen and the way that like the male gaze plays into the eventually like the unsubs recordings of Goring mm-hmm. and whatever like I wish we had talked more about it because they sort of do very like surface level analysis of like oh goring has put us below him looking up at him and then later they do like the analysis of like oh yeah the the cameraman is focusing more on goring than he is focusing on the lady i wish we had talked about this a little bit more because there's a lot of really interesting things you can do psychologically with film and i just i wish we had i wish we had talked about it a little bit more
0: Yeah, and I think it's really interesting how Gorig goes from sitting in his chair like a throne to standing like so close to his camera where you can only really see like the under part of his eyes and his mouth and like neck and chest. So you really feel like he is up against you saying, I will own these women, I will do this and you feel almost crowded. By yeah the and the video. way that he
1: like stands up and he adjusts the camera himself and then yes. sits back down again later it's like yeah okay there's like i don't know there's just something more interesting here and i wish we had gone into it a little bit yeah. more this is such a minor league gripe this is truly okay. like a minor league annoyance go for it these little um tapes are mini digital tapes mm-hmm. why do they have all of these fucking film grain lines on them it's not digital static that they put over these they like have like degradation lines like the the across the screen lines that you get in old film these are little digital tapes why do they have those lines
0: later they show that the partner like pulled out the tape of those videos
1: yeah those are still like little like I think those might be different, but, like, these are, like, little digital tapes. Like, they don't get... The, the point is that they don't get that sort of, like, across-the-screen degradation. They get more, mm-hmm. like... What you and I are more familiar with is, like, the staticky, noisy kind of degradation. Uh, they don't just get, like, across the... This is truly such a minor league gripe. I cannot they, specify how minor league this is. The gripe but is like, they put the
0: wrong type of degradation on it.
1: Yes. And it really is. Come <laughs> on. Guys... For a show that is actively being shot on film, I would think they right. would know what kind of degradation would happen on digital film. Excuse fucking me. That's Excuse hilarious. me for that one. It's That's an extremely hilarious. minor league gripe, though, and That's I'm sorry hilarious. for it.
0: But I know, and I love it.
1: What is this show if not all of our extremely minor league gripes about this? Oh yeah,
0: so many of our gripes are just like so small. The time on the watch. Doesn't match the time on the wall. Like, okay, you know, this this is nothing. Okay. Oh, I wanted to say about the filming. They don't mention the fact that this was clearly filmed on like a tripod, and the other ones are being filmed by a person, the partner. There's no like, so this must have been filmed before he found a partner, or they were for the partner to watch later, but they were buried in this trunk.
1: His, are these his instructional tapes? Are these his manifesto? Like, I feel like they just don't... They never go into, like, the fact that, like, the the filmed eye is still another eye. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, there's a the reason we have wall. things like the male gaze and why there's, like, yeah. this sort of things. Like, it just...
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I wish there was more. I wish there I, was more.
0: I want every Kumano Minds episode to be, like, feature length. So they can actually, <laughs> like...
1: But then we have some of the feature-length evolution episodes, and I remember you and I were like, what is going on? Why is this so long? <laughs> <laughs> Episode
0: 9? Fuck, this is long. Jesus. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah fair enough.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. They're watching. He's basically, Gorig is addressing himself as like a medieval lord. I'm going to have land. I will have, you know, my castle, and I will have serfs and women as servants, etc. cetera. And Emily is, like, clearly interested, but her face is also like, oh, my God. (laughs) Like, Jesus Christ. she's like,
1: good God. I know that I'm like, I know that this is my job, but fucking jeez. Yeah.
0: So many times in my notes, I just throw, you know, typical militia shit. (laughs) Like, his plan, guns, women, typical shit. Great. yeah. He wants women to serve him. So they were like, well, maybe all of the kidnapped women that are still alive, he's like, Uh, He's collecting servants. Like that could be something. And then they get the wife to come in. So the wife shows up, Diana. She does not want to be there. She's like, wait, I don't have to be here. Bye. But they're like, hey, listen, Emily's talking to her. And it's like, there's all these missing women. They all look exactly like you. And she says that the militia threw him out because they find out he was, you know, abusing her and stuff like that. And the way they get her sympathy is basically like, you know, not every woman has a militia to save her. And they realize that he's been living on her parents' land. When her parents died, Gorig made her give the land to him. So now it's his land. They go. They find a house. They also find the warm body of Angela, the woman who was missing. And the blood from the gunshot wounds isn't even dry. And so they're like, this wasn't Gorig; He's been dead for too long. So it must have been the partner. And then I wrote, scared Western twink.
1: Yeah, he is.
0: Yeah, yeah. JJ and Emily weren't there yet. So they show up and everyone's like, okay, we got to go talk to the militia. And this is the moment I wanted to talk to you about. Mm -hmm. Rossi says, Morgan you're going to go talk to the militia, And no one ever, never in this episode, does someone say the word black, African-American. Derek just looks around and goes, there are five other people on this team and you picked me to go talk to them. And then this always, every time this makes me laugh, Rossi goes, and JJ, you go with him. And JJ does the biggest eye roll behind Rossi's back. She's like a fucking chorus.
1: Like, can I also ask? Yeah. Why is Rossi making this decision?
0: Why is Ross Hodge? Hello,
1: Hodge. Are you there, Hodge? Are, is anybody home, my guy? Hello. <laughs> knock, knock, knock on your fucking forehead. Is anybody home, bud?
0: Okay, so let's talk about this. I love that Rossi chose Morgan and JJ. Here's my little analysis. Rossi knows that these people are racist, but he knows that they are racist, not in that they hate Black people, but that they believe that white people and Black people and Asian people should all just live separately. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. We don't need to mix. But they don't, they're not necessarily like shoot Black people on sight, not these particular groups of white armed people and they know that JJ is a woman a blonde white woman and her being with Derek a black man will also rile them up you know Rossi's plan is essentially you two are gonna walk in there and yes you're cops but you're also like disenfranchised groups in our society. And we see that it works. The sharpshooter guy is like, I relate to you. I hate the government and you should also hate the government. Like we are both people, we are on the same side of the anti-government, but you work for them. And I think Rossi is so smart. Like if Hodge and Reed had rocked into that bar
1: they would not have gotten anything They would done. have gotten
0: nothing. It would have been up in arms, like macho white guy against macho white guy. These militia people would have been like, you're just like every other fucking fad. But because it's Derek and a woman, a black man and a woman, walk into a militia bar, you know. <laughs> World's it, worst
1: knock-knock joke opener of all time.
0: <laughs> I know. It really throws the militia off and makes... Them more willing to talk because these are not your typical, like, white government men in suits. So I think Rossi did something very smart. I think he should have said that. But I don't think this is Rossi being like, I'm going to send the black man and the skinny little woman in there, you know?
1: Yeah, I... I do think that it's the right call to send in Morgan and JJ because also think about it if they do get shot Mm -hmm. the government's going to have a way easier time with the press coverage of that than if Hotch goes into that bar and then gets shot you know what I mean like the narrative is going to be way more in the government's favor if anything does go wrong god forbid like i i do like that
0: i also oh go ahead
1: no go ahead i'm formulating a thought it's cooking
0: i also think we see later that the sharpshooter knows who rossi is later he says you know you were at ruby ridge Mm -hmm. if rossi had walked in there his face would have been been known yeah like these people know who was at ruby ridge and who know who was at Waco. So if he had walked in, it would have immediately been a shit show. You know, Reed is like a pathetic little white guy that they're not gonna take seriously. Hodge is too much of a stereotypical white man. And of Emily and JJ, Emily is, you know, or JJ's the blonde, blue eyed one, you know? Yeah. So I think that was kind of like the right call. And it's interesting. Later, they even have an episode with a racist where JJ and Derek pretend Dude, to be this, a couple. Yeah, exactly.
1: I was like, this is just a this is just the precursor to that specific episode later.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So I, I'm, I don't mind this. I think that I think they should not have been fucking cowards and said these words in the show.
1: Yeah, if they had just said. They'll be more disarmed around a black man than than me. Okay.
0: Right.
1: But know. I also do think it's objectively really funny when Rossi's like, all right, Derek, you go. And Derek just <laughs> looks around and he's like, Are you sure about that one? <laughs> like, <laughs> like the way he like looks around and goes, really? Is yeah. so funny. And then the the eye roll that JJ gives is yeah. also extremely funny.
0: It's hilarious it is so so
1: funny
0: yeah okay so we'll get to the scene in a second but first we have reed and ross here searching gorg's garage it's impeccable and they're like this is the opposite of his home on the compound and they open a like gun locker and all the guns are gone and when they show the bullets to the cop the cop's like oh shit he's got an assault rifle and so they're like, okay, it's gonna be a small pickup. He's gonna have like the radio cop. He's gonna have like a two-way radio. He's gonna have the police frequencies. So they decide to use the frequency for like the Montana geographical, geological survey. And he's like, nobody <laughs> Which is uses so that.
1: Funny. <laughs> he was it's like, so we so funny again. We have a
0: band reserved for the geologists in the area. There aren't any geologists in the area, so we can use that one. Imagine being a geologist, and then it's just like, I'm going to blow her fucking brains out, never give up, and you're just like, is that the rocks? Like, what is happening? (laughs) Okay, they find, okay, this is so Emily. They find three rows of roses, and they're like, oh, the women must have been planting them, been planted here, you know. And then they lift it up, and there's carrion beetles, and Emily goes, like in a cemetery. I was just like, okay, goth girl. <laughs> like,
1: I know. Okay, emo kid. Yeah, truly just like,
0: it's like I'm in a cemetery. Anyway, it's terrible. So then we get to the bar. Okay, Derek is like, JJ, when we get in there, stand behind me. And she literally is like, I can take care of myself, Derek. Like, I love that he's like, I may be like a black person going in there, but I'm still a man. Stand beside me. You know, stand behind me. And JJ's like, Or you can shut up. Thanks. Yeah. So they go inside and the sharpshooter's back is to them. They like pull their badges out. And the sharpshooter says like, you, you know, you boys can put your badges away. And then JJ's like, hi, we're here too. And he cuts her off. Literally cuts her off mid-sentence and says, let's get a stool for the little lady. And she says, I'd prefer to stand. Point one, him interrupting her. I hate it part two her accent when she says this sentence like he goes let's get a chair for the little lady and all of a sudden she's like I would prefer to stand if that's okay with you like all of a sudden she like has an accent it's like okay yeah but it's like in North Merriman where she like she gets around Pennsylvania people and her accent comes out she gets around like the Midwesterns and her accent comes out and I love it AJ Cook and her tiny tiny details she's so funny so fucking funny she's like actually no thank you So then the sharpshooter is like, why do you trust the government? Okay, Derek blows this off as like a conspiracy theory.
1: It is literally just something that the government has admitted they did. Well, it's like, the
0: guy is like, slavery. They addicted you on heroin. Now they're addicting you on like, crack. Like, why are you working for the government as a black person? And Derek's like, Okay, your little <laughs> conspiracy theorists. <laughs> but then the guy is like, "Why do you think they sent you here, huh?" And Derek's like, "Nobody sent me here, you know." And he's like, "I came through what, right by these women, and if you're too scared to, that's fine." And then the guy like says he once saw the partner through the scope of his gun. He's a small guy, about 5'8", hat on, head down kind of guy and then Derek like gives the guy his card and leaves (laughs) hilarious
1: Derek is so funny for giving this dude his card after it
0: oh my god he's so
1: funny for that one king
0: (laughs) he's like here's my card if you think of anything else bye and disable these
1: it's so funny
0: yeah so okay they go into Gorik's house and it's cozy it's like a little home Rossi is (laughs) Rossi is just like opening random drawers he's just like anything in here no anything in here no anything in here hey some unspooled tapes just in the living room in a drawer <laughs> like okay
1: but also like so true you have a mess but you contain it inside of a little like drawer so you don't actually mm-hmm. have to see your mess so true Absolutely. me as fuck actually actually
0: so true so then we see a poster of the rules and it's like you shall obey your master you shall put your master before everything And then they get to the sex dungeon room. They walk in and Emily's face is just like, oh my God. She's just like, oh no. And she's like opening up this one tool and she's like, what is this? And Reed goes, the pair of anguish. And she just like, oh, oh, oh no. And just like puts it down (laughs) on the counter. (laughs) Only one in the room with a vagina and she had to pick up the vagina torture device, right?
1: Yeah. No, absolutely not. Cannot.
0: Fucking funny. She was just like the chair uh, that uh, they uh.
1: see in the middle of this room. It's very much giving James Bond um Casino Royale torture scene. It's very much very giving much. that. It's
0: giving that.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't know how else to say it, that the vibes reminded me of it. It and looks unfortunately- like the
0: chair from the torture scene.
1: But it's not. It's there's there's a key difference, but I'm not going to go into the specifics of the fucking Casino Royale dick torture scene. Okay.
0: Then they. this is where they find the box in the closet where the women were kept. And like they lift the bed and it's got a bunch of tools hanging there. And then they're like, he kept the women for months. That's why it took... It was, you know, now four women over 14 months. So over a year. So he would keep the women for like months at a time.
1: Yeah. So it would be what they kept. He kept them for like three, four months. Yeah. Give or take. Give or take. Yeah. God. Yeah.
0: So they give the profile of Gorg's partner. Early 20s. Sheepish. Won't surrender. Blonde. Keeps things clean. And he's in crisis. So in crisis, in fact, that unbeknownst to the BAU, he's dyeing his hair brown and cutting his fucking face open to look like Gorg. And, oh, I really liked this scene. Well, I didn't like it. I appreciated this little scene. So Emily and Reed and Rossi are watching videos of Gorg's torturing. And Penelope, though, had to, like, put through all the footage to digitize it. And she's like, I'm done. I'm done with this. And Emily's like, are you okay? And she says, no. And Emily's like, I'm so sorry. And then Penelope's like, yeah, bye. And just like leaves. I had never heard that line before. And then I heard it there and I was just like, oh, Emily, big sister mode. Okay. So then they point out that the partner is always filming. Gorig is always doing and the partner is always filming. But the camera caresses Gorig's body and barely focuses on the woman at all. This is our second gay character.
1: I love gay rights. <laughs> gay rights. Gay rights. Gay rights. Gay rights and, rights and gay, gay wrongs. wrongs.
0: <laughs> exactly. Gorig teaches his partner to be his perfect surf, and then Emily's like, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! The surf does everything. It would have been the surf who ordered roses." So they find out that the surf's name is Henry Frost, and he works at the nursery. So they go to his house and in his house, like in the barbecue, are a bunch of burned and destroyed pictures in the house, there's like destroyed pictures. And it's like, now he has no identity because Gorg was his meaning and Gorg is gone. So he needs a new meaning. And so we come to a gas station and he like approaches a woman. And even though he's like being Gorg, he's like, hi, oh, sorry. Did I startle you? My bad. Like still kind of not, you know, a hundred And he, like, grabs this girl, and the clerk grabs a shotgun and goes to shoot him, but is like, I didn't want to hit her, whatever. Also didn't want to
1: hit the gas station.
0: Also the gas station, you're right. You're so right, yeah.
1: There's so many flammable things here, and you have a shotgun.
0: A shotgun. A shotgun. I know. The margin
1: for error is so large.
0: Yeah. So... The BAU shows up and they see the footage and they realize that he has taken over Goring's role. The only way he's going to survive is by having a leader, even if he has to be that leader himself. So they have to like think like gorig I And mean, this is where Rossi's like, I'm a submissive gay man and I need you to dominate me.
1: <laughs> it's one of my favorite so out of context criminal minds moments. Like- yeah. I'm oh, a submissive yeah. gay man, and I need you to dominate me. And way Hodge is immediately just like, okay, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> like-
0: okay, yes, of course. I'm your master. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. That's definitely this a scene that needed a thousand
1: takes. Oh,
0: no. Why would you say something like that on this, our podcast? Because <laughs> it's true. Sorry, <laughs> I speak the truth, James. It's Hossie, right? I think that's the ship name. I don't you started this.
1: I just said it's old gay man, Yowie. I didn't say anything about shipping. Okay. Okay. <laughs>
0: okay. Then we see Gory's partner dragging the woman up a cliff. Back at the police station, Emily's like reading a book about the Spanish Inquisition. She's just standing there with like a Spanish Inquisition book. I know it's goring, but it's just like hilarious. Oh, it just like goes through the police station and she's just like, oh, yes, the Spanish Inquisition. No one expects it.
1: <laughs> it's very unexpected to see her reading it. Cause, Cause, you know,
0: no one no, no one expects.
1: expects
0: the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> so true. Okay. They figure out he's going to find defendable high ground. And they show the picture of Gorig, like, with a gun, with a mountain. Okay, quick pause. I know Gorig had a wife. And I know he tortured women. But was he not giving off, like, 70s gay man?
1: He kind of was giving 70s gay man.
0: Like, that picture, he's, like, in a bodysuit. Posing with his gun. He's in a
1: Canadian tuxedo. He has his jeans on. He has the denim shirt on. And he's very much like, I'm sorry, his hips kind of popped. One leg kind of locked. And he's kind of slaying.
0: Dick mustache, staring sensually into the camera. (laughs) Mountain behind him. Metaphor, you know, know, taken by his submissive surf. Like, he was kind of giving gay energy and no one mentions it. Nobody, <laughs> nobody mentions
1: it. this man's latent bisexuality for real for real
0: but like actually okay they say black eagle peak we see the partner tying the woman up giving her instructions etc okay they're all the bau is like sitting around the cop cars putting on their vests and things and they have to like they're like, "Where's the sharpshooter? Who is it?" And then Derek looks over and is like, "You've got to be kidding me!" And the sharpshooter just, like, has a big gun, and he's just like, "Hey guys, what's up?" Like, <laughs> "I've been deputized," and then he gives them like vague. Bay- you- hmm.
1: Sorry, no, can go ahead. a cop just like actually deputize somebody?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They they're not a deputy, but they give them like for a brief time the power to like arrest people and, like, participate in law enforcement things. Think of, like, a volunteer fireman.
1: Okay. But for I just, I really thought that was some shit you could only do on TV shows. I I for real thought that was just, like, some TV show shit. I'm pretty
0: sure you can do it just for, like, a little bit. To deputize is to appoint someone as a substitute, like a police deputy authorizing a citizen to make an arrest. So it no longer is, like... To make somebody your deputy, that's where the that's where like sheriffs have deputies. Yeah, and now it just means like to briefly give a civilian, so a teacher can deputize a student by putting them in charge of a class. That's okay. kind of like the, yeah,
1: hmm.
0: yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on. According to U.S. Code. Four four nine two two. A state or local law enforcement officer who is deputized under this section shall be treated as a federal law enforcement officer for purposes of meeting the requirements of this chapter. So yes, they just like get the powers for a brief period of time. This is not how you do it though, right? Yeah, I deputize you sure
1: deputi- Deputizing doesn't mean you have like
0: the particles license
1: to kill yeah yeah no feels a no. little weird
0: it is but no okay so there are a couple of like passing references to ruby ridge the guy has the permission to kill the partner if they need to and hotch is like you have permission to shoot like at your discretion rossi give the order to kill if you get it get a chance hotch has the megaphone Rossi goes with the shooter, Reed, Emily, and Derek are like scooching closer along the I didn't the think rock.
1: Reed was. I thought it was Emily, Derek, and then some other, just like some other random police officer. Oh, okay then. Because it was not Reed. Reed was not getting, Reed Actually, was think, not getting his little.
0: I think Reed and JJ weren't even there then.
1: They weren't. They okay. were not.
0: <laughs> okay. Makes sense. Reed's like, oh, I don't like dust. Thank you.
1: <laughs> like, uh, no thank you.
0: It'll be too loud for me. Thank you. And then Hotch It'll is really aggravate
1: him- my allergies.
0: <laughs> it's kind of allergy season in Montana right now. I need to <laughs> just stay inside. Uh, Hotch is calling the partner goring. Like totally just like calling him goring into it. Okay. All right. Brief pause. We're yeah. going to talk about Ruby Ridge. Okay. So I'm going to have to give you a little bit of a backstory and then I'll tell you what happened. There's a man named Randy Weaver. It's the 80s. He's from Iowa originally and he's basically like a Christian fundamentalist in the crazy way, a survivalist, anti-guns, no jail, everybody armed, goes to Aryan Nation meetings, shit like that.
1: You know okay. the type. Yeah. In 1989,
0: he meets Kenneth Fadley at an Aryan Nation meeting. Kenneth is an undercover ATF officer. And so Randy Weaver sells him guns sells him two sawed off shotguns okay. and is then charged with like possession and sale of felony weapons. He gets felony weapons charges. Instead of showing up to court, he takes his wife and four kids and his friend to a cabin in Idaho near Ruby Ridge. In 1992, after he hasn't shown up, the U.S. Marshals try to arrest him for missing... His court dean. okay, but he refuses to leave his home, and the FBI hostage negotiation team shows up because now they're considering this a hostage situation. He won't leave his fa- let his family leave or his friend leave. That's how they're classifying it. Okay, during the uh, recon of the surrounding forest, six U.S. marshals kill Weaver's son and the son's dog, and shoot Harris. One marshal is killed. Harris is the friend. One marshal is killed by the friend. Okay, on the second day, they bring in snipers with the order to shoot any armed man who comes out of the cabin that we were staying in. And previously to this, there were no shoot-on-sight orders. That was not a thing. But in this case, they gave them permission to shoot on sight. Okay, yeah. The wife is shot... Through the window while holding her ten-month-old daughter,
1: and she mm. dies. Ooh,
0: yes. Weaver also gets shot at some point. Not, and he wasn't armed at the time, but he got shot anyway. So, wife dead, son dead, dog dead. Weaver and friend shot. Three kids left. One being a ten-month-old.
1: Didn't this go on for like? I'm looking at the Wikipedia. Eleven days. Gone for like ten days. Jesus, yeah. Eleven
0: days, yeah and this shit all happened on like day 2 or 3. And so and so a hostage negotiator Goritz, I think, convinces Weaver to let his friend get medical help. So the friend leaves to get medical attention and gets arrested. And I assume also medical attention, but he does get arrested. And then The more
1: important part is that he does get arrested.
0: Yeah. And then eventually after 11, the 11 days, Randy Weaver and his three kids surrender to the police weaver gets charged with 10 counts of crimes and the attorney is like this is self-defense and the attorney weaver's attorney is like this was all in self-defense like he missed a court date and you killed his wife and son and shot him and his best friend like
1: yeah the optics really aren't great for the u.s government are they
0: (laughs) And it says the attorney didn't even call witnesses. He spent the entire time just like, what the fuck happened? Like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't need to call any witnesses. He missed a court date and you killed his wife and son. And so in the end, Weaver was only charged with one count of failure to appear in court. He was charged $10,000 and 18 months in jail, but he got time to serve. And got out early. In 1995, the Weaver family filed a lawsuit against the United States government, obviously. And the U.S. settled and gave each of the three kids a million dollars each and gave Randy Weaver $100,000 for his wife and his son.
1: You're telling me that each human life the government took was only worth $50,000?
0: Yeah. I know. I know. Yikes. And that was more money in
1: 1995. Not enough. Yeah, that was like, oh, yeah, for sure. But like... Our bad.
0: <laughs> Our bad, sorry. Here's some money. No, But terrible. like
1: 50000 Oof. Yeah.
0: So then in the years since, Weaver said, you know, I'm not a racist, but I believe in separation of races. That was like kind of close after. And then a few years later, he was like, I wasn't, you know... I have some blame. Like I should have gone to court. Sure. Sure. Right. The
1: government should have, should not have killed my wife and child. Yeah. And then in 2007,
0: he was like, yeah, I'm an atheist. Like all of that was too much, you know, which like he probably would have come to anyway, if the government had, even if the government hadn't killed his wife and son, he did get, he did get remarried. Um, you know, which is nice. And then he died in May of 2022. Oh, really? At 74 years old.
1: Yeah. Damn.
0: Of of an unknown sickness. Unknown to us, the public.
1: Unknown sickness. Gee, I wonder. Well. Not to be rude, but we sort of know a big sickness going on right now. I think we can take take an educated guess.
0: Yeah, so his uh, daughter posted in June of 2022 that her father had died. In mm-hmm. May, he'd been sick since April at 74. So, yeah. So what are your thoughts on how Ruby Ridge went down?
1: <laughs> First time hearing of it. Wild ride. Um, <laughs> Bad for the U.S. government, isn't it? Yeah. Pretty yeah, bad. Yeah, a little bit. I'd say it's kind of bad. Pretty not great, actually. And I can see why they make this Ruby Ridge comparison to this situation. Mm -hmm. Um I don't think it's a complete one to one now knowing that the dude just didn't turn up in court. Um not exactly a one to one, uh, but I can see why people are making that comparison.
0: I can see why the sharpshooter is like, so we're just gonna shoot to kill? We're not even gonna Yeah, I can see
1: why the sharpshooter is being sassy. Yeah.
0: Also like I know this guy's in a state of delusion, but he was also a victim.
1: They never
0: talk about him like a victim. I mean, they say, like, he's been brainwashed. But when the time comes, he is not spoken of as a victim. And there's no pity for him. And I wish there had been, like, at least a little bit, you know? Okay. The sharpshooter says he doesn't believe in shoot to kill people. And then Hotch keeps, like, saying stuff to the guy, the partner trying to get him, like, unsteady and trying to get him to just, like, fall apart i guess and then we know that rossi was at ruby ridge like not just like in the fbi at the time like
1: Like he he was there
0: he was one of those hostage negotiators yeah and then the partner's like i'm not gonna be taken alive he makes a move to shoot the woman and the sharpshooter guy does kill him which i appreciate that they i appreciate that the sharpshooter, you know in the end like he still shot him but he only did it when like the guy was going to hurt somebody else you know what i mean yeah like he did it at the last possible moment i guess although i i really don't want to defend this guy because he's still you know obviously like a militia piece of shit but
1: and a racist yeah
0: and a terrible racist yeah still a terrible guy but i don't know they gave them that when rossi was all like yeah i'll shoot him when i can you know? Yeah. I'm happy that Rossi did not get that moment. I don't care about the sharpshooter and his morals. How's that? Okay. They get the woman. And then the shooter, like, tosses Rossi the bullet casing, which was interesting. Okay. <laughs> Rossi is, like, sitting on the mountaintop, twirling the bullet. Derek walks over, and there's an eagle sound effect. There's like a minds
1: and this fucking they're just they're weird suite of animal sound effects
0: for what
1: for what
0: hilarious. Derek brings up Ruby Ridge, and okay, I'm gonna tell you this quote, and then I'm gonna tell you about Waco, and then I want you to know want to know how you feel about this quote. Okay, okay. Rossi says, all anybody remembers. Is that a woman was killed holding a woman was shot holding her child at Ruby Ridge? Six months later, Waco. Not a single shot was fired that day. Okay. And then Rossi says that he um has unfinished business, and Derek is like, "I'm relentless. I'll fucking find it out."
1: (laughs) So true, Derek. Then Derek also, by the way, just fucking chucks that bullet. Just chucks it. Man, that's evidence, I think. I do think that needs to go in a bag. I think that needs to go in a bag somewhere. (laughs) Okay. So sorry.
0: Waco is going to take a minute to get through. So bear with me.
1: Okay, yes.
0: Okay. In the 20s, there were the Seventh-day Adventists. Okay. There was a man named Victor Hutef who was part of the Seventh-day Adventists, but he started a section called The Shepherd's Rod. And he, it Jesus is the shepherd of the shepherd's yes. rod. Mm-hmm. I think and yeah, and he built a compound called Mar- He built a compound called Mount Carmel near Waco. And it is Carmel, C-A-R-M-E-L. I'm not saying caramel weird. It is caramel. Okay. And
1: Waco, by the way, for those viewers who are not in America, is in Texas. It's a pretty remote little Texas town.
0: Yes. And is pretty much only known for this. Yeah. So Victor Hutef becomes too radical. He basically says he's getting prophecies and he's having visions from God, etc. And the Seventh-day Adventists are like, no, thank you. So he leaves and the shepherd's rod becomes known as the Davidian D-A-V-I-D-I-A-N, David, the Davidian Seventh-day Adventists. And in 1930s, this becomes official. 1934, the Davidians become an official religious organization. In 1946, Benjamin Rodin joins the Davidians. 1955, Victor Hotev dies and his son takes over. But Benjamin Rodin believed that he should have taken over the Davidians. So he leaves them and creates the Branch Davidians. And if you know anything about cults, that will be the name that is familiar to you. The Branch Davidians. He, Benjamin Rodin, says that he is a prophet and he's awful. He's that religious cult leader, all the checkboxes checked, abuse, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, guns. Mm-hmm. Great. 1962, Benjamin Rodin builds the new Mount Carmel. 1981, a man, he has another name, but everyone knows him as David Koresh. This is a name that will be recognized by, again, cult people and anyone who knows about Waco, David Koresh basically has a coup, okay? He leaves with a section of the Branch Davidians and then like the original ones are still in Mount Carmel. Then they all come back and they basically burn down Mount Carmel and kill a bunch of them and build new Mount Carmel. Okay. Okay. And that building, now that's called Mount Carmel again. We're back. It's the only one now that is where waco happened and they love guns and they believe that a biblical end of days is coming they believe that david koresh is the prophet they go door to door passing out pamphlets trying to get people to join they are very much a doomsday cult but there's no they're not like the mass suicide there's not gonna be a we're running out of time time to kill ourselves they are like we will be as ready as we can Until Mm -hmm. something comes to our door to kill us. That's their mentality. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. In 1993, we have the Waco siege. The siege of Waco, also known as the Waco Massacre. Because it was. Great.
1: What causes the... I'll tell you. Okay. So we have
0: a similar story kind of to what happened in Ruby Ridge, actually the Branch Davidians are suspected of illegally hoarding and stockpiling weapons.
1: Okay.
0: And, but there's no proof. They can't really get proof on them. So an ATA, an ATF officer infiltrates the Branch Davidians. He basically like starts going to meetings and then like moves into their compound and all that kind of stuff. And it's theorized that David Koresh knew he was like an undercover agent the whole time,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but nothing ever really happens to him. Cause again, they're like, buying and selling guns and like stockpiling it, but it's very much like for the end of days, they're not like actively killing people.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: But I, I do not want to minimize the fact that David Koresh was getting children pregnant, forcing mm-hmm. men to let him sleep with their wives. He is mm-hmm. not a good person. I don't want to like-
1: Cult bad no matter what?
0: Yes. I don't want to make Cult it sound bad. like they weren't actually killing people. They were just scared. No, he was the worst okay yeah so i think what i think what ended up triggering the the atf plans a raid of mount carmel and the way they would end up doing it is because david koresh david koresh would like have people go buy guns for him and like bring them back to the house and one of those people was stopped And they knew they were involved with the branch Davidians. And so on this like very thin thread of whatever they put together, the raid they've been wanting to do. So the ATF, the ATF tries to do like a seize and arrest warrant. And they like break into the compound in the middle of the night. And so the branch Davidians with their guns and shit start shooting at them, but they only shoot at them once they're like in their house. But it's Understandable, enough.
1: Understandable, but yeah. yeah,
0: you know we don't like guns, but like sure, self defense, I guess. So ATF, some ATF agents die, etc. Then the next day starts a fifty-one day siege.
1: Fifty-one days.
0: Fifty-one days in the April of nineteen ninety-three. Okay. The gist. I'm going to tell you some details, but the gist of what happened at Waco is they wouldn't come out. The government tried to get him out. They wouldn't. So the government started pumping the building full of tear gas.
1: So true, Louis.
0: So true, Louis. They started pumping the building full of tear gas. What? And then the building caught on fire. And 76 people died. 25 children, two pregnant women, and David Koresh.
1: Isn't tear gas, like notoriously really bad for children to breathe in and like i mean anybody but like notoriously bad for children
0: yeah so that's what happened now i'm gonna give you some details okay the government story is that they didn't shoot anyone they just waited and then when it got too long they were so worried about the children that they put in the tear gas and then the branch davidians lit the fire they had listening devices and They heard them talking about fire, so they lit the fire. It was all necessary because they were bad, okay? Okay. Cool. But when they, people, the ATF did shoot. They did. That's, I don't know what people are talking about. They shot. And the leading theory is that one of the ATF people, their gun misfired. And so all the other ATF people thought they were being fired at and started shooting.
1: And just, like, lit up the building. Yeah.
0: And there are recorded calls of the Branch Davidians calling the, uh, like, 911 saying, help us. They're shooting at us. It's not us. Yeah. So that's not great. And then Koresh is talking to the news for, like, five or six days. For, like, a week, he's talking to the news about what's happening. And then the FBI cuts the phone lines So that only the negotiators can talk with Koresh.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And so one of the reasons, you know, in theory that it took so long, the siege, was David Koresh was like, let me finish writing my, you know, biblical manifesto. And I'll give that to you guys. You'll publish it. And then I will surrender. So that was one of the reasons he was putting it off. But, you know, who knows? So mm-hmm. the FBI used a bunch of sleep deprivation tactics. They were driving around their They had like tanks and trucks and shit, driving them around. And like, they were like driving over the Branch Davidians, like graveyards, like where they buried, they were like driving their fucking trucks over them. Yeah. Like actually. Bro, what? Yeah. And then they were like playing pop music, playing the sounds of rabbits being tortured playing, like, music and banging and sounds of gunfire, just trying to keep them awake. Sleep deprivation tactics to make them give in.
1: That's fucked up.
0: Yeah. And during the original raid, two of their three water tanks got destroyed. So they were already limited. But then the government, the FBI, cut their power and, like, the water to the compound. So they were living off, like, rainwater and, like, the military rations they had stored. And... They had Yikes. no power, no phones, no nothing, the sleep deprivation. There were a bunch of children. I think in total, about 21 people were let out of the compound at various times, most of mm-hmm. them children. Yeah. And there were more children that could have left, but they all knew that once the, like, the moms and the kids got out of the compound, they were separated, the women were arrested, and the kids were taken. So the kids are like, why would I want to leave here and be taken?
1: And also, as soon as you get the women and children out of there, the U.S. government is going to light that place up. Absolutely. Like they did.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, one of the theories is that the Branch Davidians, their whole thing was waiting for the biblical end times being ready to stand their ground.
1: And this is what they were interpreting as the biblical end times.
0: I mean, imagine you're like, we're oppressed people we have been working and waiting to stand our ground against enemy forces and then the u.s government who you already don't trust starts a war on your land like how are you not gonna see that as what you were waiting for you know
1: Yeah. no and i do yeah yeah okay Mm -hmm.
0: and then the fbi was worried that they were gonna like commit mass suicide like in jonestown but koresh was like no we're not gonna kill ourselves that's not like that's not a thing it's not you, our vibe that's not our vibe that's not what we're waiting for you know we're not putting all this prep work together to then kill ourselves yeah yeah and so janet reno was the one who was like just go in there and get them like just do it and bill clinton was like is that the best approach maybe we should like negotiate and janet reno was like nah fuck up let's get them <laughs> We hate her, by the way, just for all the things. We don't like her. Okay. Janet
1: Reno sounds, I'm sorry about this, it sounds like a super villain wrestler's name. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So, April 19th, 1993, the FBI started like breaking holes in the walls and just pumping in tear gas like for days. And the Branch Davidians, though, because this was their like survivalist compound, they had a room called the bunker that was underground that they would stay in or they had like gas masks so they were like unpleasant but not the end of the world for them well not (laughs) yeah okay not yet not yet and then they like stopped using gas for a few hours and then at noon on April 19th three simultaneous fires started and there were a few Branch Davidians who survived and they like maintained that they did not start the fires they maintained that they didn't do any of this but then the atf was like well all the fires started at the same time so it couldn't have been an accidental bullet or something from our side like okay
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. both sides still blame the others and this is one of those events in american history that at one point it was seen as like unfortunately the government could not stop the cult from blowing themselves up.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And where we're sitting now, it's not
1: that. It's not that. It's not that. It's not that. It's not that. that.
0: And so when Rossi says, you know, we didn't shoot any bullets at Waco. Well. Blatantly
1: lying to our faces.
0: Well, in fairness, I think we know a lot of this about documents that have been declassified since this came out but also just because you don't shoot a gun doesn't mean you're not killing or hurting or whatevering people
1: especially if the cause of death of a lot of these people was fire gang you don't need a gun to start a fire right
0: it's difficult and i did read this is like so tragic but i also understand it a lot of the bodies found like in the bunker had either been like shot or stabbed and they think that it was like mercy killings because they were like, the tunnels had caved in.
1: Yeah, there no other way. And it out. was like
0: already tortured from gas and like they were going to burn alive. So, like, David Kresh's right hand man shot David Kresh and then himself. Like, there was a lot of like, yeah, that because the other option was burn alive.
1: And I get and it. And that's, yeah.
0: Like, of the two options, yikes. you know, yeah, yikes. It's not great. So the Not fact right. that Rossi was one at both of them, at Ruby Ridge and at Waco,
1: <laughs> Rossi really batted over two here on his whole like yeah. hostage negotiator. And he's streak trying to hear
0: He's trying. The of Minds writes this as if it's like it's so hard for Rossi to have he's been at the so scene. upset. He was at the scene of two like missteps in FBI history and you know, it's hard always thinking about what you could have done better. And we all learn. And it's like, yeah, but you were making some like very clear specific choices, but I will say, I guess in Rossi's defense, it's a lot of the reports that we have read, you know, since all of this came out and everything is that the negotiators were like really, It basically, there was like the people with the trucks and the guns and the bombs versus the negotiators and the people who wanted to talk it out. And a lot of the negotiators said that they were constantly being like undermined and undercut by the more aggressive tactics, you know? So like, yeah, that has to be frustrating too. So it was
1: really, yeah, it wasn't really all us versus them. It was right. more like a, everybody's kind of in a shit show right now.
0: It was truly like government incompetence. Like, yeah. the, the siege wasn't, the raid was originally supposed to happen on the 22nd of February of that year, 1993. But then they told the news, actually, it's going to be March 1st. Actually, it's going to be the February 26th. Actually, we're not going to tell you. And then they just like, did it one day. And one of the ATF, a, or a news reporter, stopped a mailman the day before the siege, stopped the mailman and was like, Hey, do you know the way to the, you know, David Koresh's house? Do you know, the way to Mount Carmel? I'm, you know, I'm going to film the F- ATF for doing like a siege on Mount Carmel. And that post office was David Kresh. That op- post, the mailman was David Koresh's brother in law. Just so happened that it was David Kresh's brother in law. So they knew before the ATF even got there. So there were like so many just like little things. And then of course the way Ruby Ridge happened is going to affect how the government handles things here. And then it's like different departments and Bill Clinton versus Janice Reno. And like David Koresh was on the news all the time and like got a video out of him talking. So people were really sympathetic to them and then this and that, you know. So it was just kind of like, There was no way it was going to end peacefully, but it also didn't have to end like it did.
1: It didn't have to end with 80 people dying.
0: Yeah. So. Yikes. Yeah. So that really informed my whole... This is the first time I've watched the episode since watching Wendigoon's video on Waco. And so when I rewatched this, I was like, Criminal Minds is being nuanced, but at the end of the day, it's you know, on the propaganda side of nuance a little bit.
1: This episode is very nuanced, except for any references to Ruby Ridge and Waco. I think think that's maybe a fair way to put it.
0: I think they gave themselves a very difficult task with David Rossi. They wanted him to have all this experience, but there was a lot of shit going on in the 80s and 90s in terms of the government. So for him to have had this experience and be so... Renowned and have all these stories to write books about, he had to be involved in these you know situations that the general are public not f- they're not good that they were controversial at the time, and now that we have these declassified documents are even less favorable towards the government, so like I'm glad yeah. I'm glad that we'll see in the next few episodes kind of this arc that Rossi is on of kind of catching up with the times. Like I think at the start he's very much in that like Waco era of government and the BAU isn't and I think that his kind of early journey is catching up to where we are now.
1: I think that's probably a that's I think a nice way to put it. <laughs> I'm, being nice to put it. I'm being, being charitable. You're being very charitable towards David Rossi. I'm
0: I'm he's going to be here for the next 18 fucking years. I need to try, okay?
1: Yeah, and you know what? That's so valid. What else happens? Is that kind of the end of this episode? Yeah, that's the end of it. That's sort of just it. Um, Yep. Cool. All right, good talk. (laughs) (laughs) Great. And go, team. Uh, Did they say, I mean, they had to say identity in the course of this episode, right? They definitely sure. said it. We definitely got an episode title within the episode. Congrats. Congrats. James, scale of 1 to 10.
0: What do I rank this episode?
1: What are you ranking it? at? A scale of 1 to 10. What are you ranking it? It's a
0: difficult one, but it's, it's maybe.
1: It's a really good episode.
0: Oof. Um, like a 7.5? 7.
1: Okay. 7.5 feels fair.
0: I enjoy it. I like watching it, but I don't seek it out, and I don't like the propaganda of it.
1: Well, yeah, but the propaganda is sort of a given.
0: I know, but this one was particularly egregious.
1: I'm gonna give this episode an eight. I think it's a Do good it. episode. I think... It is, I think, like I said, sort of an underrated gem in season yes. three. It's yeah. sort of, you know, overlooked because of, like, I, I think it is just like an overlooked episode in season three.
0: Yeah, I can agree with that.
1: That's it. You can find us anywhere you get your social medias at Wheels Up Pod. Uh, next week, we're gonna be talking about season three, episode eight, Lucky, an episode. That is so wildly fucked up on so many levels. Yeah. So
0: many levels. It's one of those episodes. They're like, oh, yeah, it's this one. Oh, yeah, it's this one. Oh, yeah, it's that guy. Oh, my God. I forgot yeah. about that. Like, yeah.
1: Watching this episode is like getting hit in the face seven times and then <laughs> having to, like, run a marathon. Like, it's sure. such a fucked up episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so deeply fucked up. Mm-hmm.
0: hmm
1: Also implies the existence of God. Just a wild episode all Uh, around. They
0: straight (laughs) up were like, is God in this here church right now? Yeah. And like,
1: you just have to sort of sit there and be like, this is also the cannibal episode. Where maybe everybody has eaten human meat. And you just kind of have to sit there and live with that. And then Jesus is, is real. Like, what?
0: Okay, I have a. And really then funny the t- last
1: five minutes of this episode—it's so wild. I can't wait to talk about it next week. Yes. James. Yes. Do you have an ending quote
0: for me? I do. As Penelope Garcia says, "That's the federal government for you. We specialize in redundancies."
1: So true, Queen. Get their asses.